unlike some of these under industries where the money continues to come in, this faucet gets shut off from time to time because you don't have a big influx of new investors. The big amount of retail investors can't participate in as meaningful a way as they would like. You've got a, an industry that has limited investment capital. And if your story doesn't revolve around fundamentals at a time when people are de-risking investments, you're going to have trouble. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Cannabis and Corona Report. Today, we're going to be talking about post-COVID cannabis opportunities. And to help us with this, we are fortunate to be joined by one of the cannabis industry's most successful entrepreneurs, Joe Coltabiano. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Excited to, to be here and excited to chat about kind of post-corona life in the cannabis world. Yeah, well, us too. I mean, we're I mean, we're really excited to have you here. I feel like this is a real privilege. For our listeners that don't know Joe, let me just take a quick minute to tell you how he got here. To start, Joe is a childhood leukemia cancer survivor, which, I mean, I don't need to even go any further. He launched his cannabis career in 2013 when he co-founded Cresco Labs and over the next seven years grew the company from a small startup to one of the most influential and profitable publicly traded multi-state cannabis companies in the U.S. And Joe recently stepped down from his role as president, but remains very active in the cannabis industry. And, you know, he's one of the most sought after cannabis advisors in the country. And I thought he would, you know, he's the most qualified person on the planet to actually talk about post-COVID cannabis opportunities. So great opportunity for us to have him on the show. Before I jump in, though, I want to make sure that we kind of narrow the scope of this discussion because we could just go everywhere. So at least for today, let's just focus on opportunities for existing cannabis companies. We can maybe get Joe back on another day to talk about some other opportunities, but let's just stay focused on opportunities for existing cannabis companies. So Joe, to start, what are some steps that cannabis companies should be taking now so they're in position to capitalize when the economy starts to recover. The COVID opportunity, as I would call it, rather than looking at it as a negative, certainly there's a lot of things that have come from this and companies need to take this and reevaluate kind of their business plan and what their one, three, five or beyond plans look like, which is always difficult to do during a cannabis, the world that, that we live in, because there's so many things flying at you. But this opportunity really gives you this new view of what the future state of cannabis will look like and how consumer behaviors are acting and how, as leaders of organizations, we should interact with employees and staff and then the community as a whole. And what's really interesting from this is COVID is now forcing people to implement things that they thought about implementing five years from now. And what I mean by that is whether that's in your production facility where you have a heavy reliance on human interaction and maybe a room full of people rolling joints, 
now looking at the opportunity to automate some of those things and move the staff into other roles, quality control or otherwise, but less manual interaction with the product. And that was something that I think a lot of companies thought about doing in the future, and it was more of a want to have, but now you're recognizing that as a need to have. And then on the retail front, where store owners, store operators had very traditional forms of somebody walking in and consulting with the patient care specialist or bud tender or whatever the vernacular you use behind the counter. And then it's a long interaction and then they discuss products and they they go out the door after they purchase something. Now understanding the need of having a online ordering system that is informative to the customer that maybe has some level of interaction or maybe you have a call center that services it, whether that's telephone or email or bot, but that's helping guide the purchase in advance, which ultimately allows for faster throughput within the stores. And what I mean by that is somebody places the order and they're just coming there to pick it up and recognizing that as a way to get more people through the store still while providing that customer service and experience that they wanted to learn about products, but it's not all done at the point of sale. It's, it's started well in advance. So I think those are two kind of first things that people should identify and now start to move it again from the want to have to the need to have sure. in modern day cannabis. It makes absolute sense. I know, especially when you're in business, the longer you're there, the more sacred cows you collect. And you're just like, we, we can't get rid of that. Or we, we've always done it that way. Something like this virus forces you to do things like reevaluate talent and maybe renegotiate your leases and you know just rethink things that before were, like I referred to as sacred cows. Well, yeah. I mean, I think like meetings, quite frankly, are something that people will revisit. And, and I'm, you know, for 43 years, young or old, depending on the day, I'm kind of an old school person. Like I like paper, I like face-to-face meetings. And you start recognizing that you don't need to have as many face-to-face meetings. And maybe you don't need as large of a footprint for your corporate office. So there's this ability to shift to reduce some SGNA. And as we know in the cannabis industry, that is certainly a cash-starved industry. The pathway to profitability is imperative. And the investment community that still exists out there, they want to see a pathway to profitability. And there's nothing investors like hearing more than the ability to trim SGNA. That really helps that bottom line. It, it translates to profitability in a much quicker way. Again, this COVID opportunity makes people look and reevaluate things that they would have never done. And quite frankly, as a, an operator, you really didn't have time to, to make these decisions because you were drinking from a fire hose from 10 different directions. <laughs> and now you get to pause and look and say, okay, I've got time to evaluate these various things. And you've got to make decisions that are for five years down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you make a lot of good points there. <laughs> I, I love that visual because that's cannabis drinking from a fire hose from 10 different directions. You know, one thing that I'm curious about is real estate. It's always been a challenge for cannabis companies because landlords are reluctant and their lenders are reluctant. Do you feel like since the crisis has deemed us essential that 
landlords and lenders are going to be more receptive to working with cannabis companies? It's a, it's a yes and no. Landlords, for sure. Landlords will be much more open. The quote-unquote cannabis tax, if it's $10 a square foot, you, Mr. Cannabis Company, are paying $20 a foot. Okay. Those days are going away. Lenders, unfortunately, especially big lenders, are still tied until something like, say, banking passes. Big lenders that own the, the large-scale buildings, they really can't do too much. However, there are opportunities when you sublease from a company. So if big box retailer goes out of business, but they have a 10-year lease or 20-year lease, and you're subletting from them, sometimes the big lenders don't have as much say because the, the lease is still guaranteed by that big corporate tenant. I would say landlords will absolutely want to do deals. Dark real estate, boarded up real estate, especially retail and retail corridors, is the worst thing in the world for property values, for crime, for a lot of different things. So landlords will try to bring in tenants like cannabis tenants who are paying good dollar, who are essential businesses, who employ people, who increase the tax base for the community. All of those things, they're certainly open and willing to work with the company. Sometimes the lender will be the roadblock, mm -hmm. but I think you're going to see that less and less. And there are plenty of lenders where state chartered banks, credit unions who own that debt, who will be fine with cannabis tenants, as we know. But, you know, unfortunately, some of the big ones are still tied up because of federal banking laws. Well, we may get them on our to support us, especially if they have a lot of borrowers that default. You know, that's a real distinct possibility as companies go out of business, can't pay their rent, the landlord can't pay the, the lender. And so, you know, they, but they're like, I got a guy that's ready to pay right here. Yeah. Dan, don't, don't get too far ahead and bring common sense into politics. Though. That, would make, <laughs> uh, that would be a little too difficult. You know, you're absolutely right. There is a, an industry that is starved for a leveling of the playing field. And you've got a lot of great cannabis operators that have good business sense that will make fantastic retail tenants across the country and given the opportunity. And in addition, now being an essential business and seeing this tidal wave that's coming, cannabis tenants want to take more and more space. You know, they want to go from that 2,000 square foot footprint to a 5,000 square foot footprint, or maybe from 5,000 to 10,000 and be the anchor tenant in a strip mall or a standalone building or take over the old bank. So, the opportunity is there. There's plenty of money to fund those opportunities. And just hopefully we see some evolution on banking and uh, some of the reform that the various groups are, are fighting for. And hopefully that takes hold in the near future. That but in the meantime, I would, if I'm an operator, I'm revisiting every place I wanted to do in the past because I think you'll get more yeses than you did a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. Speaking of raising money, what adjustments should companies be making in their fundraising plans? Fortunately, I've got a, a, a long experience with this, or at least long in, in the cannabis industry. You heard very early on, you know, it was all about funded capacity and how big can you build and, and all of those things. And then it shifted to this, how many states are you in and plant the flag around the country. But now it's really gotten back to core fundamentals. And as I mentioned earlier, it's about bottom line. So how are you going to become a cash flow company? And that pathway to profitability is of paramount importance. 
investors want to know that when they're giving you a dollar, what are you going to do with that dollar and how is that going to matriculate its way to the bottom line? What is going to drive that return on invested capital and are you thinking of it in the right way? Taking the time to revisit your fundamentals of your company now is absolutely the time. Where am I getting the biggest bang for my buck? We're still a growth industry, so it's still important to think about what's coming next and how do you stay ahead of the curve and ahead of trends and and where this industry goes. But that should be a small portion of your balance sheet rather than what we saw years past where that was the moonshot projects as like a, a Google talks about made up too much of a person's balance sheet. Now that should be a relatively small part and the, and the majority of focus should be on cash flow generating opportunities. And how do you make sure that all of your business lines and various things under your corporate umbrella are focused on generating positive cash flow? And whether that is increasing the top line because you reach a point where you don't need to scale up your infrastructure services, more top line revenue or more customers coming through the door, larger basket sizes, or that means trimming expenses in the interim because you can't increase the top line because maybe there's more competition opening in your area, then you've got to run a leaner business. Mm -hmm. So those two things are how you need to communicate to investors of, Mr. Investor, I'm really focused on my bottom line and my free cash flow going forward so I don't have to keep coming back to this well unless I see these incredible opportunities. And investors still do want to see companies being aggressive, taking steps, but all in service of increasing bottom line. And if that's not part of your story, it needs to be very quickly, or you will find yourself not getting funded in the way that, that maybe your competitor down the street does. That You know, that's just good basic business advice. It applies today. It applies to 100 years ago. It's going to apply 100 years from now. I think those are really just sound fundamentals that if people follow those fundamentals, they may not need to raise funds. Yeah, it's back to business. It's back to basics in an industry that it kind of lost its way a little bit. It's unfortunate because I think inevitably it would have caught up, but unlike tech or unlike some of these industries where the money continues to come in, this faucet gets shut off from time to time because you don't have a big influx of new investors. The big amount of retail investors can't participate in as meaningful a way as they would like. So you've got an industry that has limited investment capital And if your story doesn't revolve around fundamentals at a time when you're kind of getting a a risk-off scenario in the world where people are de-risking investments, you're going to have trouble. Joe, that's a lot of good advice, and I wish we had more time. I have all of your contact information in the show notes, so if somebody wants to follow back up with Joe, I'm sure he'd be happy to to talk more about it and would hope that maybe you're available. We can have you back on the show in the future to talk about some of the other opportunities that we didn't have time to talk about today. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. I I really enjoyed it. Happy to to provide a little bit of insight and I wish everyone the best out there and keep pressing forward and, and look forward to great things to come in this incredible industry. 